Welcome back as we head into our third hour. Talk about uh, a long week where we could use uh, where we could use a little bit of a reprieve, a rest. It is a delight to bring back into the studio Rabbi Pinchas Alush. She is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts. He spells his last name A L L O U C H E. He is also the head rabbi at Congregation. Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, on Shea Boulevard, where all are welcome, observant, non-observant, Jewish, not Jewish, and he comes here straight from Jerusalem, straight from Jerusalem. Rabbi, welcome back. You just flew in this morning, yes? That's correct. That's right. It's a delight to be back, though. Israel, in the news a bit last couple of weeks, if you read, I don't know, the New York Times or what? we sometimes call the corporate or mainstream media, it looks like everything's falling apart over there. It's not, is it? No. Okay. No, I mean, of course, you know, the news make a lot of noise. Yeah. But look, I was just there. Yeah. The people on the street are as loving to everyone as always yeah. and as as uh, calm as could be. Yeah. So, yes, it's true. It's a, um, it's a It's a process over there that's taking place, judicial reform, that I think has been, you know, everyone, particularly in the news, they want agitation, they want uh, convulsions, and uh, the more the better, especially if it has to do with Israel, the more the better. But these are proposals that Israel is enacting right now and going through that have been proposed here. They exist in various countries in Europe. It's not that. It's 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 not that different. It's an issue. I was listening to a. Um, I was talking with a. Uh, with a, a non-Jewish president of a university the other day, and he was telling me, you know, he had studied this rather in depth, and he said um, the problem with the judiciary in Israel is there's no written constitution, as many people know, and the ju- judiciary there just acts as a super legislature. So whatever the parliament or the Knesset enacts is almost irrelevant given the current structure because the judiciary has been empowered to do whatever they want irrespective of what the Knesset acted upon. So that's what was trying to be reined in. Uh, America, we usually think of ourselves as having three branches of government. It's not the same way in a parliamentary democracy, but it's to rein in an unelected judiciary, which sees itself as a super legislature. Nothing more, nothing less. That's right. And it's to create some sort of balance between those three branches. Um, But I do think that you know, there has been a schism in the political field for quite a long time. And it's almost like a, a married couple yeah. that had a fight at the beginning. But each time they try to brush it under the carpet. And uh, then 20 years later, one little comment explodes everything. Yeah. And it brings back all of those fights uh, that were brushed under the carpet. And I think that's what, in a way, has happened, at least in the political field. I wouldn't say in the streets, in the national field, but in the political field, I think they have to figure it out. The people in Israel are, uh, the citizens of Israel are a little more political probably than than most countries, just because it's a small country, both territorially and in population. And the politics, uh, they have several different parties. But at the end of the day, that's kind of normal over there. Political agitation is kind of normal over there, and they still get along. There will be there, there will be no civil war. Absolutely, and this I, isn't I, 1982 Lebanon or anything. Th- like that's that. That's right, and I think Israel is unique yeah. in that sense because it's a Jewish state. Yeah, and as many know, Jews love to question, yeah. love to argue. 
they are in uh, Hebrew and Aramaic, a combination of 24 words for questioning. Okay. Uh, Eskimos, for example, deal with snow all the time, have 11 words for snow. Is that right? okay. So it's reflective of the culture. So if we have 24 words for questioning, I'm sure it's reflective <laughs> of that nature to question everything. So we love to fight, and, and we don't do that necessarily out of uh, ill intentions. It's just a part of our nature. It's the way we communicate, and sometimes it's even the way we express love. Even struggle, struggle with God. We are uh, we we name some of our patriarchs patriarchs after the idea of struggling with God, don't we, Isaac? Yes, that, that's correct. And look, the children of Israel are called yeah. the children of Israel because it relates to right. that struggle. Right. Israel was really Jacob's name who wrestled. Sorry, Jacob. With, I'm, I'm that's sorry, right. Sorry, who wrestled with an angel right. all night long, and right. then once he was victorious, then an angel comes and names him Israel. Right. That means uh, the person who wrestled with God yeah. and was triumphant. So it's in the name of the country. It's in the name of the country. Yeah. It's in the name of the people. Yeah. So what do you expect? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> what do you want already? <laughs> All right, Rabbi Elush. Your podcast this week, you do a weekly podcast, Apple Podcasts. They're about six, five to, four to five to six minutes. It's a lifetime of learning in, in one session. You did a, a very beautiful thing this week. Uh, you gave tribute to your teacher and mentor, which is, was the occasion of you being in Israel to pay tribute to him on the anniversary of his passing. That's right. And uh, five lessons. I'd love to go through them with you. First, tell us a little bit about him, uh, Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz. Tell us a little bit about sure. him. Sure. So first, he was really a unique man. The Time magazine called him a once-in-the-millennium scholar. The Newsweek magazine, not that it matters, right, called him a genius of the highest order, the type of mind that comes around once every thousand years. So he was really a man that had a very, very high, erudite mind. Uh, that, um, And therefore, he could really relate to everyone, to every background, every subject, every culture, and make God's wisdom, not just his wisdom, God's wisdom through his wisdom accessible to all. I would say that was almost his obsession. Therefore, also, he was really the first person to open up the world of the Talmud that was very, very closed for 2,000 years ever since it was authored to the masses. Yeah, translating it. Translating it from Aramaic, who yeah. speaks Aramaic, except right. for you know the selected few. But he opened it up. He added his own translation, his own commentary. If you open up a page of the Steinzeltz Talmud, which is what it is called, you'll see there are biographies, geographical maps, botanic experiments. You'll, you'll see all sorts of, of encyclopedic um, uh, items that, that make this Talmud really indeed accessible. And he'll stop with the Talmud. He went to every single book that is of dominance in the Jewish library, the Bible, uh, what is called the Mishnah, Maimonides, and many other books, and really made them accessible to all. You go into any Orthodox uh, congregation, you're going to see some translation or some series of books by this That's great right. rabbi, Adin Steinsaltz. And that, that, the books you're referring to, of course, are beyond his yeah. translation commentaries. Right. He wrote some 80 books. Right. And, on, on Jewish thought, mysticism, on social, so, uh, social subjects, and so on. It is the mark of an amazingly great teacher, a unique teacher, whose teachings last beyond their life. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of teacher he is uh, and will be. But take a moment personally and step back, Rabbi, with a question maybe you haven't been asked before. 
I've been privileged to have a couple great teachers in the secular world who I think still teach beyond their lives, and it was just a tremendous privilege. You just wonder, why me? Why was I given that opportunity? You must want to think a little bit about that, too, for you to have the opportunity to study with such a giant of giants. Absolutely. It was a tremendous privilege. It was maybe the most important and the most cherished privilege I have in life. But I would say what was really unique about studying from him is that he he himself was unique in the sense that, you know, there are people that are fully materialistic. Mm -hmm. I bring to mind maybe Madonna's song of I'm a Material Girl. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There are people that are fully spiritual. Or I should have said I don't know what you're (laughs) speaking of. (laughs) I recognized it too. (laughs) That was a little too quick on my – okay. I'm sorry. Who is this Madonna you're saying? Okay, sorry. Go on. Go on. Then you have people that are fully spiritual – uh, such as monks that yeah. meditate in the Tibetan mountains and right. so on, or, or people that are just detached from worldly affairs. Very, very, uh, uh, it is very rare to meet a person that is both uh, a very, uh, I would say, very attached, very connected to the heavens, yet his feet are steeped on earth. Yeah. And this was the man. So um, to me, he was that complete harmonious persona that brought heaven down to earth and therefore lifted the earth up to the heavens. That's nice. I wish I could communicate the look on your face as you're talking, the smile and the cheer in your eyes. Talk a little bit about the obligation we all have to find a teacher. Uh, We've talked in the past about how we're all obliged to kind of be teachers through our example in our life, but we should all, I mean, the gift of finding a great teacher, we, we should all be obliged to do that, too, to find a mentor, if not a teacher. Yeah, maybe, well, actually, there's the music. Why don't we do that on the way back, Absolutely. on the other side yes. of this break? Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. There it is, David. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> we'll be right back. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He's the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. His topic this week, his podcast this week, is a tribute, Five Lessons from His Mentor. We spoke a little bit about his mentor, Rabbi Steinsaltz. Stein... That's right. You said it right. Steinsaltz. Steinsaltz. In the previous segment... um, before we get into those five lessons, the importance of finding a mentor, Rabbi, we, we're going into the breaks and we all kind of have, feel that, and believe we have an obligation to um, represent and be teachers ourselves, but there's an importance in seeking a teacher and seeking a mentor too, right? That's correct, if only for the sole reason that we need a bird's eye view in life on ourselves and our, on our decisions, on our pathways. And sometimes we are just too close to ourselves, almost as if I were to bring a painting close to my eyes, Mm -hmm. too close to my eyes. Mm -hmm. I won't be able to see the entirety of the painting. And yet when we have a teacher and we can adhere to his guidance, his or her guidance, uh, because he or she sees the entire picture, then I think we introduce clarity. And um, I would also say that we introduce wisdom. Mm -hmm. To our lives. You know, it's interesting because the word for teacher in Hebrew is more or mora, depending on the masculine or the feminine. But those two words come from the word or, which means light. Light. Yeah. That's because that's the role of the teacher to illuminate our pathways when confusion seeps in. Mm-hmm. 
I like that. Teacher means light. Um, okay, let's get to the five lessons, Rabbi. Don't be afraid of death. Be afraid of life. Paradoxically interesting, isn't it? That's uh, one of the lessons your, your rabbi, your teacher taught you. God is in charge, and you can't worry about it. Worry doesn't—I've always thought worry, it's, it's, about, it's about worry, isn't it? Um, be afraid of—worry doesn't solve tomorrow's problems. It robs today of its blessings, I wrote down for mm. some reason. Talk mm. to us about this notion. Don't be afraid of death. Be afraid of life. Right. That, that's actually well put. Well, don't be afraid of death, first of all, because we have no control of, of it. There's uh, just one author to death, and that is God. He will decide. So we, we really can't control it. But it goes deeper. And what Rabbi Stanz was saying through that uh, saying of his, don't be afraid of death, be afraid of life, is that one should take life very seriously to the point that one should be afraid if he doesn't, he or she doesn't live life fully and meaningfully. Mm-hmm. If I let time squander, then when that death does come, I'll look back and say, gosh, I could have done so much more. Gosh. I wasted my life. But if I'm indeed afraid of life or concerned about infusing every moment of life with true meaning and purpose, then when death comes, I look back and say, okay, I did my best. I lived my life quite fully. Might I relate it a little bit to the Torah portion of the week? Uh, I wrote down or copied. uh, We're dealing with uh, Deuteronomy basically 7 through 11. Be careful you do not forget the Lord your God, otherwise when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and you have, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of sa- slavery. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Kind of an interesting thing about uh, the fear of uh, life that we should be instructed on, right? That's right. And, you know, what the Bible here is referring to is really human nature. Yeah. That when everything goes well, yeah. when I'm drowning in blessings, yeah. then I tend to forget God, right. forget the, the giver of those blessings. Right. When I'm in a time of distress, that's when I shout out, God, please help me. You know, it's interesting. You know where we see that? I mean, for those who love the Bible, uh, I'm sure everyone knows Psalm 23. That I walk in a valley overshadowed by death, I will feel no evil for you are with me. Uh, But that Psalm really begins with referring to God as a he. He leads me beside still waters. And then all of a sudden, you are with me. If I walk in the valley of you are with the he changes to you. So interesting. Why is that? Yeah, why and that's that? simply because, indeed, when I am beside still waters, when everything is going well, yeah. then God is a he somewhere out there. Yeah. He's, I have no personal relationship with him. That's just human nature. Yeah. But when I walk in the valley of a shadow by yeah. death, when, yeah. when fear permeates I'm and I'm in something. trouble, yeah. then I have to grab onto God. Yeah. Then I seek a personal collection and, uh, connection. And therefore, you are with me. So that is the warning, not to be distracted by always think of it as the you, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Always think of it, exactly. think of it as in the, good times and in bad times. And in, in good and bad. And, and be more conscientious to think of it in good. Mm-hmm. When we are showered with blessings or as you put drown it in blessings, that's, that's when we should be most. most that's right. And in a way, it goes back to point one here, and that is that's when a teacher can right. not only illuminate your way, but that's when he can excuse my language, kick you in the butt a little mm-hmm. to say, yeah. hey, wake up, yeah. live life. Yeah. You've been uh, too complacent lately. Yeah. On this side of the mic, we say give us eights. <laughs> give us eights. Say, you know, <laughs> That's okay. a good way of putting it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Second lesson. <laughs> Second lesson. <laughs> you're quoting Madonna. You're using vulgarities. I mean, I'm so what sorry. What kind of shul are you running over there on Shea Boulevard? <laughs>
<laughs> you also came from Israel. I get it. It's a little tougher over there. Uh, <laughs> well, blunt so I decided fun. to be blunt today. So much fun. Uh, second lesson about love. What is love? And you talk about two levels, a lower level and a higher level. Kind of interesting. Right. So there are two. I've never heard of this higher level. I wrote it down. Right. Yeah. yeah. So he speaks of the highest level in which I love the person for him or her, not for me. Mm-hmm. And therefore, as Rabbi Stein so beautifully put it, sometimes if I truly love someone, I have to be able to confess to that person and say, look, I'm not meant to be with you. I'm too poisonous for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I love you so much. Let's separate. Mm -hmm. I'll let you lead your own way Mm -hmm. out of love Mm -hmm. because I care for you. That's a higher level of love. Lower level of love is when I love not just for the other person, but also for me. It's what I want. It's <laughs> right. about me. The lower level is about me, and the higher level is about giving someone else. You tell someone you love them, I suppose. You tell someone you love them, and it easily trips off the, the tongue or the lips. But what does it really mean? And it would really mean you want them to have love. You want them to have the best love, and it might not be with you. Yeah, that's correct. And, and maybe the, the way to determine whether we are loving with that higher type of love, mm. is to just switch the word love to care. Yeah. Do I really care for the other person? If I really care for that person, then I want, uh, I, I seek his or her good. And sometimes his or her good is for that, that other person not to be limited by my needs, by myself altogether. There's an interesting tension and another paradox in, uh, I think it's fair to say, both Judaism and Christianity where we uh, understand we are different than God, we are lower than God, and not God's, but we are to be like Mm. God and do what God would want. There's a saying somewhere in Jewish lore that it's as hard for God to put the two right people together as it was for him to split the Red Sea. In other words, it it was a difficult task. I wonder if this is this higher level of love is, is some version of us trying to to emulate or be godly or godlike or to um, do what God wants. If you express that higher love, when you put maybe yourself aside and mm-hmm. give a woman, perhaps if you're a man or a man if you're a woman, to someone else and doing that same kind of thing. Maybe it's that same kind of challenge. That's right, and, and that's correct. That's exactly what the Talmud says regarding the splitting of the Red Sea, and it's as hard to match people as yeah. the splitting of the Red Sea was because the splitting of the Red Sea goes against the nature of the sea. Yeah. So, oh, good, too, good. for me to truly love, sometimes I have to go against my na- nature and selflessly care solely for the other person. Nicely put. Well done, Rabbi. Uh, let me take a quick commercial break. Rabbi Elush is my guest. We have three more lessons from his great teacher, Adin Steinsaltz, who we are memorializing today. He and I will be right back. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He's the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. Five lessons he learned from his mentor, who he just returned from Israel to commemorate the life and passing of. Uh, We did lesson one, don't be afraid of death, be afraid of life. Lesson two, different levels of love. We're moving fast, but we'll return to these things over time. Three, how to talk to a misbehaving child, Rabbi. Right. And uh, in Rabbi Stelz's words, he would say that if you catch your child misbehaving, don't say stop doing this. Rather say do something else. 
And there's a fundamental difference between those two statements. If I say stop behaving uh, this way, I'm telling my child two things. Number one, that what he was doing was wrong, and therefore I almost am casting a cloud of negativity over him. But secondly, I'm turning him into some passive being. So he'll stop doing it. What is he going to do next? Just sit on the couch? But if I tell my child, go and do something else, I'm telling my child, hey, focus on positivity, mm-hmm. not negativity, mm-hmm. and become active yeah. in positive things, not passive. So it changes the whole approach in, uh, towards the child and the whole, uh, I would say, the whole direction of the child altogether. Do you see this extrapolated between older human beings who are supposed to be children of God? You know, one of the things about synagogues like yours um, is it's very positive and very active. You're always giving people things to do, commandments to fulfill on holidays, whether it's visiting the sick, which is a commandment, or whether it's, um, you know, helping, helping, helping the less fortunate, or whether it's just, you know, celebrating late into the evening, the Sabbath, or even exp- extending the Sabbath on a Saturday night just a little bit longer, or keeping people at your Friday night dinner table just a little bit longer. I've noticed that in Hasidic Judaism, there is this this tendency or this practice. And I wonder if there's a, there's an element of that in there, too, giving people more positive things to do rather than having them leave early, cut it as soon as possible, and uh, obviously giving them the opportunity to do not-so-good things. Maybe. Right. I would say it's like the encore in concerts okay. where we are so elated and, and uh, immersed in such joy that we want more. Mm-hmm. And that relationship with God altogether should indeed lead to that type of joy. Mm-hmm. And if it does, then we want to stay in it more. Mm-hmm. So stay an extra hour. Yeah. Let's celebrate more. Yeah. Or let me pray a little longer. Or let me extend, like you said, the Sabbath yeah. a little more. That is all reflective of that tremendous state of joy that this relationship, this genuine relationship with God creates. Yeah. And in very many ways, I think that's the essence of education. Mm-hmm. Because in education, we can focus on the bad or focus on the good, mm-hmm. focus on what is difficult or focus on what is uh, not necessarily easy, but what is joyous, mm-hmm. what is uh, um, positive. And um, I think parents who can fo- focus on the latter are parents who raise children who grow up in that way, grow up happy, grow up healthy, and grow up in a way smiling at life and life smiling at them. On that point, there's a portion in uh, – there's a sentence in this week's portion in Deuteronomy. Uh, by the way, I think I can get this pronunciation this one time. Maybe I got it right. Akev, did I get that That's right? That's right, yes. Akev, there's a sentence, remember the long way God made you travel. Mm. Remember the long way God made you travel, which is, you know, the, the experience of the 40 years and all that. And it reminded me of a Talmud – I think Talmudic precept – and maybe taught by a child, if memory serves. I may have this a little bit wrong. On this point, that there is in life a short road that looks long, and there's a long road which looks short. Right. So, yes, that also comes from the Talmud. 
Uh, where I write the, the same books that Robert Stiles translated and open up to the world. But it's a story about this man who was walking towards Jerusalem. When he arrived at the entrance of the city, he met a wise child. And he said, it was a child. which okay. is, that's right, which is the shortest way to the city. And the child responded, what, well, you have the long, shorter way or you have the short, long way? The man heard short, long way. It sounded shorter to him. So he went through that pathway. It was indeed short because he could see the city just a few meters away, but very soon he uh, uh, trampled upon stones and wood Problems. and rocks, yeah. and yeah. he couldn't continue on. So he went back to the child, and he said, I think that I'm going to take the long, short way. He took the long, short way where he could not see the city from. Yeah. It was very long indeed, but it was as smooth as it gets. And he learned a tremendous lesson from that, that sometimes in life it's better to take the long, short way rather than the short, long way, even though the short, long way might seem a little more attractive. The way God wants versus the way you think might be cutting corners and That's getting right. there quicker. Or to put it briefly, you know, as they say, no pain, no gain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or as one rabbi once said, you know you're doing the right thing if it feels difficult at the time, but good later. You know you're doing the wrong thing if it feels good at the time and difficult later. <laughs> Very hard well later. <laughs> rabbi Elushin, I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have Rabbi Pinchas Alush with me, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. This uh, five lessons from his mentor, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, five lessons from his teacher, his mentor. This one will probably get us, or is the most difficult uh, series of tripwires. If both of us have our jobs after this one, we'll be in good shape. All right, Rabbi, relationships with God and phantom pregnancies. <laughs> right. So Rabbi <laughs> Steinsaltz would often use this example of um, the medical term that is called false pregnancies, mm-hmm. where women experience all of the symptoms that pregnancies have, but they are not pregnant. They, there is no baby being created. And uh, eventually it's just hot air, right? I'm sure doctors uh, among your listeners will know know the term quite well, much better than I, I know it. But Rabbi Steinsaltz would say that very often. That's the type of relationship we have with spirituality, with God altogether. That, yes, we're carried to this, you know, spiritual realm where we feel good and, uh, you know, some, some spirit overtakes us. The question, though, is what happens thereafter? Do we become better people? Are we changed? Do we increase our good deeds? Do we come back as better people? Because if not that we may have just experienced a type of false spiritual pregnancy. Yeah, we're living in deceptions or illusions, right? Right. Uh, or delusions, perhaps, is, is perhaps the better way to do it. And it's interesting, too, because as I mentioned to you, I think last time we were together was last week, the portion in the book of Deuteronomy last week, I thought it was interesting how much it had to say about idolatry. We get that again in this week. I mean, the idolatry thing is a Big dang deal, isn't it? Absolutely. And and that's what kind of, I think, maybe is related somewhat inherently here. Very much so. Uh, Of course, you have different types of idols. Until today, you have the idol of money, you have the idol of sex, idol of greed, and so on. But what is, I think, the common denominator between all these idols is that they don't lead you to a better self. They don't fundamentally, fundamentally change you positively. Right. They in a they way make you feel comfortable, but they don't make you change. That's right, exactly. They you put know, you at ease with your deceptions. <laughs> no, really. I, I mean, that, I think that, they normalize delusion. I think that is the point. That that's exactly right. That's exactly. You know, I tell people that 
at least in our synagogue, you know, and everyone is indeed welcome. I have to reemphasize that. But our synagogue is more like a gym than a spa. Mm. We don't come to give you massages and to make you feel good. I think true synagogues or true places of worship should be like the gym. Yeah. That you have to stretch and it hurts and it's painful, Mm -hmm. but it makes you grow. Well, that leads really very naturally to the fifth lesson about what is Judaism, and it's, um, it's, it's not undemanding, it's not easy, mm-hmm. it's not cheap. Orthodoxy or Orthodox Judaism or observant Judaism, you know, it's interesting. It's the tougher way to live. I mean, it has more demands on you. Mm-hmm. It's also where the growth in the, in, the, in the religion is. In the same sense, I suppose, that, you know, the most famous of colleges have the highest number of applications, the more rigorous, the more demanding, the more interest, something like that. What is Judaism is, is the question you pose in this fifth lesson. Right, uh, and that's a good point. You know, there was a French philosopher by the name of Andre Naur who put a very interesting twist on the famous Yiddish phrase that says, which means it's difficult to be a Jew, mm-hmm. like you just pointed out. Indeed, there are many, quote-unquote, rules and regulations. But he would add just one word to that phrase, and he would say that it is a pleasurable difficulty to be a Jew. Mm-hmm. And what this means is that, yes, when it is difficult, then we can achieve true pleasure. When it is not difficult, then it's temporary pleasure. But that pleasure certainly doesn't lift you up and doesn't make you grow. And um, in very many ways, I think that's the idea of growth altogether in life, specifically the hardships of life that might make us grow. Yeah. When everything is, you know, is, is smooth sailing, then we don't grow. Yeah. Yeah. It's about that feeling good while you're doing it and feeling bad later versus, mm-hmm. you know, having a harder time sweating it out while you're doing it because you know you'll feel good later. You say... Rabbi Steinsaltz taught you to say a person is obligated to say, when will my de-, or ask the question, when will my deeds meet the works of Abraham, Isaac, mm-hmm. and Jacob? Yes? That's right, exactly, and, which means that I constantly have to grow. You know, uh, as, a, as a tribute to my beloved rabbi that we are memorializing today, I would uh, quote an interesting exchange I once had with him. We spoke about how he authored so many books, um, 80 books on, on, on so much and such rich books. Uh, books that have changed thousands of people's lives. But I, I once asked him, out of the many, many books that you authored, which is your favorite one? And he replied so brilliantly, the next one. Yeah, right. <laughs> because one. he was always growing. Yeah. And uh, he was really teaching that which he himself followed. He was not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. That's what true growth means. You know, it's. I have so many last questions I want to ask you in our in our last couple minutes together. I guess I'll do this one, uh, Rabbi uh, Alush. Um, in the portion of the week, I think we're asked, uh, "What does God ask of you? Only this: to revere God, to walk in divine paths, to love God, and to serve God with all your heart and all all your soul, keeping His commandments." I love the idea. Only this. Just just do that. <laughs> only, only to revere God, to walk in divine paths, to love God, and to serve God with all your heart and soul, keeping his commandments. <laughs> only that. Just do that. Uh, only that. Yeah. But it's interesting because the Talmud asks exactly that question. What, is it that easy? Yeah. <laughs> it's such yeah. a small thing. Yeah. Only that. Yeah. And the Talmud answers an interesting question. Yes, for Moses it's easy. Uh-huh. Well, what does that mean? I'm not Moses. 
But that's exactly the point. Inside of us, we have a little Moses, and we have to be able to cultivate it. We are born great. We have to cultivate that greatness. Otherwise, that greatness will never demonstrate itself. So for that little Moses, it's easy, but we got to cultivate it. I love it. And I love you, Rabbi Elish. So does our audience and so does your community. Rabbi Pinchas Elish has been our guest. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, House of Prayer. On Shea, to reiterate, where all are welcome, religious, not religious, Jewish, not Jewish. And, of course, his podcast weekly is a wonderful way to uh, get to know his very, very supple mind and teachings. Rabbi Elish on Apple Podcasts. We'll be right back. Thank, Thank you, you so sir. much. Folks, you think about the economy with the bank failures and stock market volatility, speculation of a recession, inflation, which is omnipresent. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio. That does deliver a high fixed interest rate from Y-Refi, 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Y-Refi is headquartered here locally. They encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been, and you won't get a sales pitch. They leave that up to me, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. 888-YREFI-34 is a great way to end with the rabbi, a great way to end the week. We do so uh, to kind of move beyond the uh, banausic, if you will, of our political life, the quotidian turmoil that we are uh, put through in our uh, political lives here. And I'm glad we're all in a political life because we have to be. But we also have to have a little bit of rest and a little bit of repose. And that's why we dedicated today, Friday, really to the issue of teaching and education, whether it was with Eric Twist or Rabbi Pinchas Salush, I'll close with um, a little thought that I think the rabbi would agree with from a political philosopher, from my teacher's teacher, my mentor's mentor, uh, Harry Jaffa's teacher, Leo Strauss. Liberal education, which consists in the constant intercourse with the greatest minds, is a training in the highest form of modesty, not to say anything of humility. It is at the same time a training in boldness, for it demands from us the complete break with the noise, the rush, the thoughtlessness, the cheapness of life. One might think of the Sabbath that way, something that is a complete break with the noise, the rush, the thoughtlessness, and the cheapness of life. That is its own thing. But in dedicating ourselves to education, it is a dedication to humility, isn't it? That we don't know it all. It is a dedication to modesty, that we don't know it all. And it seems to me that there's a nice dovetailing of those two concepts. Education, peace, and restfulness. May you all have one this weekend. Um, God bless you all. David, thank you for everything. I'm Seth Leibson. Until Monday, class is dismissed.